0: You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm John Kuh. Uh, I'm not joined by my co-host, Lee Keller. He is currently day-to-day with a few uh, voice problems, so uh, it's just me for today. And uh, for those who are loyal listeners of the podcast, you'll notice that this is technically episode 50 for us. But since it's just me for today, uh, it's just going to be episode 49 and a half. Lee should be back next week, and we will celebrate 50 episodes of this podcast. But on today's show, we're going to cover the latest news around baseball, discuss player performances from the past week. Uh, we're going to talk with pitcher list writer John Foley about his articles on ideal plate appearances and then recommend some hitter and pitcher streamers for the week ahead. Before we get into this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter at this ThisWeekPL, and you could send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at pod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to on your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're on all of them. So just make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and leave a five-star review if you enjoy listening to us. Now let's get into the news. Uh, we still have a lot, but that is technically our smallest list of the season. Uh, we're going to start with Chris Sale of the Red Sox. He was activated from the 6 DIL day IL on Friday. He's missed two months due to a stress reaction in his left scapula, and he's making his return start against the Tigers and is expected to be limited to just four innings. Justin Turner of the Red Sox has missed four straight games due to a bone bruise in his left heel. He acknowledged that this week he'll likely have to play through pain down the stretch, so that means that there will most likely be a lot of days off for Turner from here on out. Josh Young of the Rangers was placed on the 10-day IL on Monday with a left thumb fracture. He broke his thumb after Jorge Soler torched a 110-mile-an-hour X-velocity hit in his direction at third base. Young knocked it down with his glove and fractured the thumb in the process. He underwent surgery to repair that fracture and is expected to miss around six weeks. Bryce Harper of the Phillies exited Thursday's game against the Nationals due to back spasms. He wasn't in the lineup on Friday either, so Harper is presumably day-to-day for now. Joe Musgrove of the Padres is expected to begin playing catch around August 24th. He's entering the second week of a three-week shutdown period after landing on the 15 DIL due to inflammation in his right shoulder capsule. The best case scenario for Musgrove is that he returns the rotation in mid-September. Beau Bichette of the Blue Jays is not running at full speed yet, but he has been hitting in the batting cage, and the Jays are encouraged by Bichette's progress so far. They're, however, not ready to put a timetable for his return, and so far he's missed all of August with right patellar tendonitis. Nestor Cortez Jr. of the Yankees was placed on the 15-day IAL on Friday with a left rotator cuff strain. Well, rushing back to fill in for Herman seems to have really hurt Cortez because he's back on the IL after just one start. He's going to be shut down from throwing for a month, so the earliest that he'd be back is mid to late September. Luis Robert Jr. of the White Sox was removed from Wednesday's game against the Yankees with a sprained right pinky finger. x rays came back negative, so consider Robert day-to-day for now. Hunter Green of the Reds is expected to make two more rehab starts before he's activated from the IL. He's been out with a hip injury for this time. His teammate, Nick Lodolo, threw a bullpen session on Monday, and he's expected to return to the Reds' rotation in late August. Their teammate, Jake Fraley, was recently placed on the 10-day IL last Saturday with a stress fracture in his left fourth toe. Tyler Glasnow of the Rays is still aiming for a return on Saturday. He was scratched from his last start due to back discomfort, but he received an injection and threw a 15-pitch bullpen session, and so he's optimistic that he'll be able to start on Saturday against the Guardians. O'Neill Cruz of the Pirates has begun a formal running program. Cruz could feasibly head out on a minor league rehab assignment within the next couple of weeks and return before the end of August. He's been out since April 9th with a fractured left fibula, and those 30 plate appearances were exciting, but it's really been unfortunate that we haven't been able to see Cruz for the entire season for the Pirates. Merrill Kelly of the Diamondbacks was taken out of Wednesday's game against the Dodgers due to a right leg cramp. Kelly has already missed a significant amount of time with a right leg injury, but it seems like this isn't as severe as last time. Carlos Rodon of the Yankees was placed on the 15DIL on Monday with a left hamstring strain. He threw from flat ground on Wednesday and is expected to only miss the minimum amount of time on the IL. If that's true. He'd be el- eligible to pitch on August 22nd against the Nationals. J.P. Crawford of the Mariners will be evaluated for a concussion after colliding with his teammate Eugenio Suarez during Wednesday's game against the Padres. He reportedly wasn't feeling good during the last few innings following the collision, so the Mariners are going to put him through concussion protocol. J.D. Martinez of the Dodgers is targeting a return to the lineup on Saturday. He received a cortisone injection on Wednesday, and his MRI res- results didn't reveal anything unexpected. He's been out with some hamstring and groin issues uh, for the past few games. Starling Marte of the Mets was placed on the 10-day IL on Monday, August 7th, with a right groin strain. He received an injection in his right groin on Tuesday and should resume light baseball activity soon. Chaz McCormick of the Astros had to be scratched from the lineup on Thursday due to a bruised left knee. Consider him day-to-day for now. Cedric Mullins of the Orioles was activated from the 10-day IL on Friday. He was sidelined for more than three weeks with a right adductor strain, but has been cleared to rejoin the Orioles following a four-game rehab syn in Double A. His teammate John Means began a rehab assignment on Thursday. He got through two innings with 28 pitches. He's currently 16 months removed from Tommy John surgery and has finally gotten over the back injury, which slowed his rehab. He'll probably need multiple starts to build back up uh, on his rehab, rehab assignment, but he's on track to rejoin the Orioles rotation within the next few weeks. Francisco Lindor of the Mets was scratched from Saturday's from Friday's lineup due to right side soreness, and is planning to get an MRI on Saturday. If this ends up being an oblique injury, which you know those right side injuries can be sometimes, uh, Lindor may have to go on the IL. And then Jonathan India of the Reds is set to get a second opinion on his left foot after dealing with soreness. He was scheduled to come off the list on Friday for the Reds, but was shut down for running for two more weeks. The Reds are likely targeting a return in mid-September. Finally, on the movement side in terms of uh, transactions, Emerson Hancock was promoted from AA Arkansas to the Mariners on Wednesday, August 9th. Hancock uh, is the sixth best, best prospect in the Mariners system, according to MLB Pipeline. He had a solid debut against the Padres. He went five innings, gave up two hits, three blocks, one in run, and had three strikeouts. If you were uh, following Pictureless news, we had a stream on Playback.tv to watch Hancock's um Debut start, and we're going to continue having those types of streams for the rest of the season. So keep your uh, eyes peeled on our uh, social media accounts and uh, just know when those are happening. And then finally, uh, Alec Manoa of the Blue Jays was optioned at AAA Buffalo on Friday after a pretty dismal start against the Guardians on Thursday. That's all for player performances. Uh, Moving on then to our weekly performance recaps, just as a reminder, we pretty much get all our hitter and pitcher pitcher highlights from the daily articles on Pitcherlist website. The hitter recap and SP Roundup articles are incredible resources to read just to see how players performed each day um, and just to maybe pick out some names that you might have missed. But getting right into it, starting with the weekend, August 4th through the 6th. Uh, we start with Luis Ranjifo of the Angels, He went 2-for-4 with a home run, 2 runs, an RBI, and a walk. Since the All-Star break, Ranjifo has solidified his spot as the leadoff hitter in the Angels lineup, with a 949 OPS, along with 15 runs and 6 homers. He also has great multi-positional eligibility, with 2nd, 3rd, shortstop, and outfield eligibility, and is only rostered in 37% of leagues on Yahoo, and that's even less on ESPN. Maybe the one blemish against Ranjifo is that he has no speed with only five stolen bases and none since the All-Star break. However, if you're looking for someone who can provide some well-needed offense in terms of runs, RBI, and ratios, Ranjifo might be a good fill-in as he continues on this hot streak. Ryan Jeffers of the Minnesota Twins went 3-for-4 with a double, two homers, two runs, and four RBI on Saturday. On the night that Joe Maurer got inducted to the Twins Hall of Fame, it only seemed appropriate that a catcher ended up having the best night among all batters. Jeffers has been in a timeshare with Christian Vasquez all season, but the Twins have been taking advantage of his hot bat recently by inserting him into the lineup as the DH. He currently sports a .285 average, along with an eight eighty-one OPS, and since the All-Star break, he's hit five homers with 14 RBI. He's available in 11% of Yahoo leagues and 3% of ESPN leagues, so if you're dealing with some catcher injuries or need a solid bat in two-catcher lineup, Jeffers will likely still be available. And then finally, C.J. Abrams of the Nationals went 4-for-5 with a double, a home run, two runs, an RBI, and two stolen bases on Sunday. We talked about Abrams last week, but he continued his hot streak with a big night on Sunday in Cincinnati, getting multiple bags along with a homer. He's batting leadoff every day for a national team that actually has the sixth highest average in the league. So there's usually a good chance that getting on base for Abrams should result in a steal or a run. If he's still available in your league, you should definitely try and pick him up. Moving on to pitchers, we're going to start with Max Fried of Atlanta. Uh, Going up against the Cubs, went six innings with zero earned runs, three hits, no walks, and eight strikeouts. Freed made a pretty triumphant start coming back from the IL, earning the win. He was throwing his fastball actually harder with an average velocity that was a tick higher than last year. And the secondaries came together to earn a few whiffs as well. Of course, he ended up having a dud on Wednesday against the Pirates. But I think for now, we're just happy that Freed is back healthy and ready to dominate. Steven Matz of the St. Louis Cardinals uh, went up against Colorado on Saturday, going with six innings, one and run, five hits, two walks, and six strikeouts. Matz has quietly been having a really solid stretch of games, dating back to his start against the Cubs on July 20th. Counting that game, he's pitched five plus innings in every start, giving up only combined two runs and he's also doing a good job of limiting walks and having good strikeout numbers as well. He gets the Royals uh, on Saturday, and then his next start comes against the Mets. Keep starting this man if he's on your team, and if he isn't, there's a good chance he's available as he's only rostered in 46% of Yahoo! Leagues. Finally, Lance Lynn of the Dodgers went up against the Padres on Sunday, going six innings with one and run, four hits, two walks, and six strikeouts. It's time to reignite our favorite debate about whether Lance Lynn is back, the trade to the Dodgers fix him? Well, some legitimate items we can point to are an increased four-seamer usage and a lower cutter usage. You don't love the lower whiff rate, but he may do getting more called strikes with his fastball. It'll take a few more starts for me to believe that Lynn is really back. I mean, really, is he ever truly back? But he does get the Rockies on Friday before this episode drops, and then is scheduled to face a brewer team. Brewers team that loves to strike out in his next start. Both those starts should be pretty solid outings for Lynn, and maybe that's the way he comes back onto your fantasy teams. Moving on to Monday, August 7th, we have the Daily Hitting Recap article from Jonathan Metzler, starting with Sal Frelick of the Brewers. He went 2-for-3 with a double, a homer, 3 runs, 4 RBIs, and a walk. Since his electrifying debut against Atlanta, Sal's been quietly putting up some good ratios. He has a negative K-walk uh, minus walk ratio, uh, which is pretty amazing to see from a rookie, along with a 9.32 OPS. If he was a qualified batter, he'd actually have the highest walk rate in the majors, along with the 6th best OBP. However, that is helped by a few incredible games like this one on Monday. Overall, he struggled to produce on a consistent basis, as his game log is filled with plenty of hitless games, and he hasn't really contributed too much in the counting stats department. Still, he's batting in the middle of the order for the Brewers, and as long as he continues to get on base, only good things can happen for Frelick. Carlos Correa of the Twins went 2 for 3 with a double, a homer, 2 runs and 4 RBI. Correa unfortunately has not been really startable in most leagues this season unless you're really in a deep AL only league. This production on Monday was a nice surprise, but overall among qualified shortstops, he's only 9th in homer, 20th in runs and 6th in RBIs. His ratios are not but better, notch better with a 227-300-399 slash line which is good for 18th, 14th, and 11th among qualified shortstops, respectively. The Twins have moved him back in the lineup, so there's potential for more RBI than when he was batting leadoff, Uh, but it still doesn't make him a guy that you need to pick up on your rosters just yet. Moving on to pitchers, uh, starting with the And So It Ray Gans uh, SP Roundup article from Nick Pollock. We're going to start with Cole Reagans of the Kansas City Royals. He went up against Boston with 6.2 innings, one and run, four hits, one walk, and 11 strikeouts. The hyper on Cole Reagans is real as he shut down this Red Sox lineup with high heat and good secondaries. He was getting whips with the changeup mostly and getting called strikes with his curveball. Reagans faces the Cardinals on Saturday and then the Cubs next Friday. Both aren't necessarily easy starts, but if he continues this form, both those opportunities could work out in his favor. If you want to get on the bandwagon before it leaves, he's currently rostered in 26% of leagues on Yahoo. The only caveat is that because he's on the Royals, he's frankly not going to get you a lot of wins. And he actually got the loss on this night, which is kind of weird to see with only giving up one earned run. Gavin Williams of the Cleveland Guardians went up against Toronto, going seven innings with zero earned runs, one hit, one walk, and 12 strikeouts. Williams is managing to put together an impressive rookie season, although he's struggled as of late being unable to last in a few starts. The trouble with Williams is that his slider, which is his main secondary pitch, is below average in whiff rate, and that he's been using it instead to steal strikes. The curveball also really doesn't contribute too much, however, in this start, he did locate those pitches pretty well, leading to success against a potent Jays lineup. His calling card continues to be his good fastball, as it accounted for 12 of his 17 whiffs, but we'll see if this start will stick. Moving on to Tuesday's games, uh, starting with the Daily Hitting Recap article from Mark Stubinger, Uh, we start with Kyle Schwarber of the Phillies, who went 2-for-4 with 2 homers, 2 runs, and 5 RBI. We haven't talked too much about Schwarber this season, which is unfortunate, because he's quietly putting up a pretty impressive season when you look at his counting stats. He's top 20 in runs, homers, and RBI, and this double home run game, which did include a Grand Slam, brought his season total to 30. Unfortunately, if you roster Swarber in an average league, you've also had to deal with his 182 average. At least in an OBP league, he's still around league average with a 324 there. Believe it or not, he's actually increased his walk rate this season, so at least in the OBP department, he's made up for the lack of hits with more runs. Cabrian Hayes of the Pittsburgh Pirates went 2-for-3 with a double, a home run, a run, 3 RBI, and a walk. Hayes has struggled to maintain any fantasy relevance, despite the fact that his advanced metrics this year say he should be having a pretty solid season. His hard contact is 35%, which is actually in the 96th percentile. And if you look at his ideal plate appearance, which we'll talk about later with pitchless writer John Foley, that ranks in the 97th percentile. His struggle, though, is that, frankly, all the advanced metrics don't result in actual counting stats. He did have a mini-hot streak this week as he hit another homer on Wednesday and then had three straight days of three RBI, but that still only brings his season total up to 42, which is only good for 19th among all Major League third basemen. Moving on to pitchers with the J.T. Show SP Roundup article from Nick Pollock, we start out with Tanner Bybee of the Cleveland Guardians, who went up against Toronto, seven innings, zero earned runs, six hits, no walks, and six strikeouts. Another day, another Guardians rookie doing well against the Blue Jays. Bybee was solid, locating his four-seamer and slider well to play off each other, earning three whips apiece and eight called strikes on the four-seamer alone. The star of the day, though, was his changeup, as it earned a 35% CSW. And it is a really good pitch by PLV as it's in the 82nd percentile, so it's not that surprising. It's nice to see Bybee bounce back after two starts that weren't as perfect. I mean, he did only give up, you know, basically two to three runs, so nothing to really be too worried about. Um... But it was still good to see, you know, going seven shutout innings against a really good Jays lineup. He'll need that momentum as he faces the Rays next on Sunday. Logan Gilbert with the Mariners went up against the Padres in a win. Seven innings with zero earned runs, one hit, no walks, and 12 strikeouts. It feels like we've arrived at peak Logan Gilbert as he was nearly perfect through seven innings, not to mention 12 strikeouts, which is most in a game since his ten strikeout game against Texas back in early May. The slider was cooking for the second start in the row, earning five whips and five called strikes. Good for a 50% CSW. The curveball and splitter also made up the rest of his secondary mix, which were supporting his fastball pretty well, getting a few whips and called strikes as well. If the slider can stay solid like this, Gilbert might be able to take off to new heights for the rest of the season. Starting on Wednesday's games, uh, starting with the hitting recap article from Jim Chatterton, uh, we're going to talk about Spencer Torkelson, Of the Detroit Tigers, he went 2-for-4 with 2 home runs, 3 runs, 2 RBIs, and a walk. You don't need me to tell you that this was a much-needed game for Torkelson in his sophomore season. Some positives? In his 484 plate appearances so far this season, compared to 404 last year, he's had over double the homers, double the RBI, and 18 more runs compared to last year. His walk rate and strikeout rate have at least stayed the same, and his ratios are better across the board. That all being said, we likely expected more from the 23-year-old first baseman, as he's only 10th in homers, and he's outside the top 10 in runs and RBI as well. Still, maybe a two-homer game is what Spencer needed to jumpstart the last month and a half of this season. Nick Castellanos of the Phillies went 2-for-4 with two homers as well, two runs, and three RBI. Castillo certainly made a good jump in the second season in Philly, as he's improved in basically all categories compared to last season. We're still not maybe near the heights that he experienced in Cincinnati in 2021, which, let's be honest, would be hard to replicate in an actual Major League ballpark, but his barrel rate is back to where it was in 2021, and his hard contact rate, though, is lagging. In addition, his walk rate's down, while the strikeout rate is up, compared to last year, which just really isn't a good recipe for success. That all being said, he has hit 7 homers and batted in 17 runs since the All-Star break, which puts him in top 30 among all batters since that point. Moving on to the No-Pen Mike uh, SP Roundup article from Nick Pollock. Well, for the second week in the row, we get to talk about a no-hitter as Michael Ironman Lorenzen. Pitched nine innings, zero earned runs, zero hits, four walks, and five strikeouts in his home debut for the Phillies. Now, the Phillies actually decided decided to skip Lorenzen's next start. Part of the perks of, I guess, of a six-man rotation. And so, funny enough, he's actually scheduled to face the Nationals again in his next start. But with this start specifically, there might not be a lot to build off. Um, The changeup earning eight whips is nice, but the slider getting ten called strikes doesn't seem too sustainable. But congrats to Michael Lorenzen, who also, shout out, was wearing Vans as he was pitching. So, uh, you know, bringing the skateboarding game, I guess, to baseball. Uh, And then we're going to talk about Graham Ashcraft of the Reds. He went up against Miami in a no decision with seven innings, one run, three hits, one walk and seven strikeouts. Ashcraft is finally regaining some fantasy relevance against a seller start against Miami, as his slider and cutter both earned 8 whips. Seriously, when that slider is working, good things happen to Ashcraft. His slinker was also well-located, getting outs on balls in play, and he gets the Guardians next, and then likely the Angels, so if you need some help uh, in the pitching department, he might be worth the pickup, as he's only rostered in 41% of Yahoo leagues and 20% of ESPN leagues. Moving on to Thursday's games, uh, thanks to Seth Klusmeyer for his Daily Hitting Recap article here. We're going to start with Brian Rocchio of the Cleveland Guardians, who went 2-for-4 with two doubles, a run, and two RBI. For the uninitiated, Brian Rocchio is the Guardians' number one prospect and has been up with a major league club since August 4th. On Thursday, the Guardians had him bat leadoff against the Blue Jays for the first time, and it paid off with two doubles that were both 97 miles per hour plus off the bat, resulting in those two RBI. Rocky Profiles is a contact hitter who is a decent defensive player, so it's tough to say if he'll have any fantasy relevance uh, this season or even in the coming seasons. He has yet to hit any homers or steal a base in the majors, and he'll need to improve in those areas if he's draftable in fantasy. Jose Altuve of the Astros went 4-5 for five with two doubles as well, a homer, two runs, and an RBI. Altuve looks to be finally healthy, as in his last 30 games, he's hit seven homers and stolen nine bags. He's also sporting a... 1,005 OPS which is basically all-star level production even if you had to miss out on the early season production from LTV his ratios have been stellar and expect those counting stats to continue adding up as the season goes on moving on to pitchers uh, thanks to Nick Pollitt for the Lib Service uh, SP Roundup article and the title boy was Matthew Liebertor with eight innings zero earned runs two hits no walks and seven strikeouts it was a career day for him who's Uh, For Libertor, he's struggled to claim a footing in the Cardinals rotation this season, and it's been tough. He's had a 5.72 ERA and a 1.41 whip. The advanced metrics aren't very nice to him either, as he gives up way too much hard contact, which thankfully isn't turning into homers, so good for him. Um, And he just really can't get anyone to whiff on his pitches, with a 4th percentile swinging strike rate and a 4th percentile CSW. PLV also really doesn't like his pitches, putting him in the 5th percentile among all pitchers. That all being said, though, he was earning whips on Thursday, got four apiece on his four-seamer and curveball, and the fastball was actually up in velocity as well, up to 94 miles an hour. Is this sustainable? It's hard to say, but he does get Oakland next, so he can definitely build on this start. And then Noah Syndergaard of the Guardians went up against Toronto. 5.2 innings with one and runs, six hits, two walks, and five strikeouts. Another day, another Guardians pitcher doing well against the Blue Jays, although this time it wasn't a rookie. Thor has been a complete afterthought this season with a 6.35 ERA and a 1.40 whip. The only positive thing you could say about Syndergaard is his walk rate, which ranks in the 94th percentile. But beyond that, he's been essentially unrosterable. And even in this start, all his velocities were down, and he earned 7 whiffs on a fastball that really isn't a whiff pitch, so that just doesn't seem repeatable. You can kind of forget about this one and whether you should be picking up center guard on your fantasy teams for the upcoming starts. Well, now we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to have a recorded interview between myself, Lee and pitcherless writer, John Foley about his articles on ideal plate appearances.
1: This podcast is sponsored by underdog.
2: appearances john welcome back to the show hey guys thanks for having me again i appreciate it of course you're always welcome here so before we get into the interview john if you have anything to plug your social media want to tell us a little bit more about yourself what you do for pitcher list and give us a little bit more of your background that would be great
3: yeah sure thing so uh yeah i write for the going deep team pitcher list uh we'll talk a little bit about my most recent couple of articles about ideal plate appearances uh, I also uh, write for the SB Nation site Town about the Minnesota Twins and the endless frustration that they provide for a first place team uh, in a very bad division. So that's uh, another place where you can find stuff that I'm working on.
2: That's fantastic. Well, we're glad to have you and talk about your article on Ideal Plate Appearances. you want to tell us a little bit about what that is?
3: Sure. So uh, the Pitcher List actually has a stat right now called Ideal Plate Appearances. It's on all of the player pages. Um, And I was digging into that this summer. I was curious about how predictive that is uh, for actual production. You know, we're always looking for uh, simpler and faster and easier to use statistics. Uh, They don't always have to be super complicated X formulas and things like that. And so this one seemed pretty simple. And so I was curious about exploring that and then looking to see if there were ways to even make it better. Um, Right now it's based uh, on uh, what, what's called the ideal uh, contact rates which is sort of barrels and solid contact and flares and burners as a percentage of plate appearances um, and so we were looking at that to see how how predictive it was uh, and what it might, might
0: might be missing yeah ideal plate appearances I think is is interesting because it's it's looking at specifically the the results right of, a, of an app that um, so you know, we we have other other stats that tell us that, or right? like OBP, slugging. What does ideal plate appearance tell us that like stuff like OBP and slugging is missing?
3: Yeah, I think it's always it kind of comes down to this process versus results thing that we're always trying to do with baseball stats. Right? Is you know the results uh, whether somebody got on base or not, or they got a hit, or whatever it is. um, often aren't, you know, that indicative of maybe how well they're swinging the bat and, and those kinds of things. And for me, this actually reminded me a lot of when I was, uh, you know, playing youth ball, right. So high school, college, those kind of things, we would always keep charts of, you know, what our coaches called quality at bats. Right. And so, and that included things like bunting a runner over or moving a runner over or driving in a runner from third base with one out and that kind of stuff. Um, And so I got thinking about this ideal plate appearances as a metric to say, well, we should think about some of those things. uh, And it's not just, you know, whether they got the hit or not. And we do try to do that a lot with the process stats that we have available from StatCast and all these other things, right? Hard hit rates and barrel rates and, you know, all of that kind of stuff is really along those same lines of trying to strip out you know, sort of luck and strict, you know, get to, you know, the process and the things that the players actually have control over. And so that was part of my thinking is uh, this is an interesting way to look at this type of question and, and maybe there, you know, it would have some applicability or help us understand how players are doing um, without ne- necessarily in a really kind of simple way, right? And without having to have a super complicated, you know, long formula that nobody really understands or, or those kinds of things. And so what can we do that's simple?
0: Mm-hmm. yeah just, i like the idea of like simplifying things and you obviously talk about that a lot in your article about yeah simplifying stuff um and making sure that you know the things that are going into this equation like you mentioned right hard hit ball barrels, uh, uh, barrel salt contact and flares and burners those are the things that that's just part of the equation
3: it is that's the one that we're using today on the, on the site mm-hmm. and, and my my work here was really to say well if we're looking at a whole all the plate appearances. I mean, if we've learned anything from the last 20 years of baseball stats and money ball and all this kind of stuff where this sort of sabermetric stuff really has taken off, it's like, hey, walks are super important, right? And so I think if we're thinking about a metric, and my proposal was, if we're thinking about a metric that is sort of what's the percentage of the times you come to the plate that you got and I, you did something ideal, I think that's, you know, hitting the ball is, you know, in in good ways, right? And so for us, that's the the contact quality stats that we have from StatCast. But then it's also you drew a walk or you got on base a different way or you drove in a run. And so I proposed this, you know, in addition to the formula that really kind of built on the quality at bat charts that I used when I was a kid and added walks and hit by pitches and sack flies and sacrifice bunts mm-hmm. um, and then use that as sort of the share of plate appearances. And so that was that was the first option that I looked at. But then I was like, well, that's sort of complicated again, right? So now we're back to a place where you've got these complicated formulas for what is a barrel or what counts as a flare and burner. And, you know, trying to understand those formulas from the statcast perspective is not super easy and they're very dynamic. And I said, well, maybe it's simpler too. just strip out those and say, well, just do hard hit balls, right? You hit the ball 95 miles an hour or more. Um, and add that with the walks and the hit-by-pitches and those kind of things, and then do that. And maybe that's as predictive or not. Um, And that's what I wanted to explore. Like, can we get to the the same kind of quality of the metric, but in an even simpler, faster kind of way?
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, so we were just talking about how there's, kind of two different versions of ideal plate appearance and in your initial article that's what you addressed but moving on to your more recent article you didn't even deeper dive into the statistics looking at correlation with woba reliability and stickiness year over year what did you end up finding out here that surprised you
3: yeah i think i was well a i was happy to find so the one the one based on the ideal contact rate, so barrels and all of that was actually really predictive and so Correlates really well with WOBA, actually correlates better with WOBA than hard hit rate, both from an overall perspective or hard hit per plate appearances. It that the correlation numbers for that IPA statistic were, were stronger than those. Um, it wasn't quite as predictive and, and related to WOBA as expected WOBA, so that's still kind of the maybe gold standard in terms of predictiveness. But it's much less complicated than, you know, expected WUBA formula from that perspective. Um, and then what I also found that I thought was, was cool is it, when you replace the, the ideal contact rate stats with hard hit rate, um, it's not quite as predictive, but it's still pretty good. Um, but that one also becomes reliable much faster. Um, And so, you know, potentially it has applicability to use in smaller sample sizes, or, you know, maybe for a rookie, it has only a month in the big leagues and you're trying to figure out is this guy for real or not, or those types of situations. And so really that second article was about, let's go dive into this and figure out which one's the strongest in terms of the relationship. And then, From a usability standpoint, you know, how quick do they become reliable? And then also, are they sticky year over year? And can you use them, you know, in the off season or those types of things to understand, like, does this metric have any staying power?
0: Right. And I guess for people who haven't read the second article, you basically looked at a bunch of different stats. And I mean, you kind of laid them out. I just want to, you know, people who are listening here, if you haven't read the article yet, it's, it's actually really good, the statistic analysis that goes into this. But you were basically comparing... Pitcherless current version of IPA, right, which is those those um, those solid contact uh, events that you were talking about. Yep. A um, version that you introduced in your first article, which includes walks, hit by pitches, sacrifice flies, and just general sacrifice hits, but you know basically sacrifice bunts essentially. Yep. Um, and then a second version of IPA where instead of barrels, solid contact, flares, of burners, you simplified it to just hard hit balls plus walks hit by pitches sacrifice flies sacrifice hits and then the third version which is just hard hit balls and walks yeah. um and so yeah just like even the even the more simpler that like you make this equation even though it becomes maybe a little bit less correlated it's easier to understand and it's easier for us to for you know someone who's maybe just getting into advanced statistics to be like oh i understand what's going to the into this equation and why it matters for for fantasy or for for understanding a player yeah exactly and and i
3: knew writing it was sort of complicated because you had all these different versions that i was trying to keep track of and I, you know yeah. the real challenge was like how am i going to explain all of this in a way that doesn't just lose everybody
0: right. um but
3: the but what i was why i kept adding more was because i would you know run the analysis and you look at it and like, oh well now that, now i'm curious like can i get a close to that kind of same result but with an even simpler version right and so i just kept trying to strip out Things to make it, you know, even more and more simple. And so the one that I proposed originally with, you know, sacrifice hits and all of that and and the barrels and and that, that was the, you know, sort of the most predictive of the ones that I offered in the article. And it was A, better than the version that we're using on the site today in terms of that Mm -hmm. relationship and better than, you know, hard hit rate and barrel rate and, and that kind of stuff. So from that perspective, it's an improvement. But then I was thinking, you know, can we make that even simpler and just go to hard hits, and then eventually I took out the sacrifice hits and all those kind of things because actually those don't actually happen that much, right? And Mm -hmm. so those don't actually add that much in terms of the signal in the statistics. And so just relying, walks actually is the biggest sort of driver of that. So you add walks in and you end up with the stronger signal. And so there's different use cases for the different ones. I think overall what I would probably propose is the one that makes the most – sense to use is is probably the first one that i propose in terms of a comprehensiveness and a completeness but mm-hmm. the shorthand versions i think are they're you know they're still pretty good and they're better than other stats that we're using a lot of and you know they're just at some point it's do you really need that really extra precision or can you you get the majority of what you're looking for with something pretty simple
0: right so yeah i mean obviously this is a fantasy baseball podcast so we're gonna we're gonna look at the fantasy baseball angle of course how are you how would you say if you know if you know you're just a manager and you're trying to figure out, okay, is this guy for real? What what should I be looking at? How would you recommend they use IPA or at least the different versions of IPA that you're proposing? And you know, maybe go into a little bit detail, like why is this better than just say looking at bail percentage or or looking at X Wobo?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think ex is probably still the best one in terms of the predictiveness and and that kind of stuff. The, the drawbacks of it though, again, is, you know, do you, do you want to understand what the metric means and what goes into it? Right. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, you know, those are complicated formulas that, you know, if you're trying to explain it to somebody else or maybe you're not, you know, maybe you don't like statistics and those kind of things and you're like, I just want something that I can understand. You can get a lot of the same type of relationship in the, in the, between the variables if you just use hard hit balls and walks. And so, like, that's probably the simplest one for fantasy users. What I would say is, you know, maybe there's a rookie that's got called up and you're wanting to understand, like, do I add this guy or do, or do I trade this guy or whatever I want to do? Hard hit balls, 95-plus so miles an hour, Like there's different rates of those on pretty much every site, right? And their walks as a, as a fraction of their plate appearances is going to get you a pretty good idea of how well... Um, they are producing for sort of these process statistics, right? So they have Mm -hmm. better control over, you know, whether or not they get out or not, if they hit the ball hard, it's likely to lead to success in the future, right? Same thing about if they have a good plate plate discipline, be able to get on base, um, they're going to be productive as well. Um, And so I think that's the simplest one from a fantasy perspective. Um, And also the nice part about that is that version of it, Uh, Stabilizes in terms of the way that we sort of you know try to figure out when statistics become more signal versus noise. Mm -hmm. Um, That one stabilizes in less than 200 plate appearances, so a little bit more than a month or you know a month and a half's worth of worth of work for a player, and you can pretty much trust that version of of IPA. Whereas Mm -hmm. hard hit rate takes more than that, so about a little bit more than 200, but it's less predictive. Like I said. And then ex-WOBA takes almost 350 plate appearances to stabilize. So it's one of those where the signal doesn't outpace the noise until about halfway through the season. Um, so, you know, when you got guys coming up or early in a season or those types of things, these are maybe shorthand ways that you can try to get an idea
0: of how they're actually doing. Right. And I think that's that's important because let's just say you picked up a rookie, right, at the beginning of the season, and now you're looking to trade him to, you know, maybe get some value. Um most players, most managers don't have a half a season to wait, but if you only need like, you know, two hundred plate appearances, that's enough time to where you can kind of make decisions about guys like this and whether they're worth trading or worth holding on to. Right. Right.
3: And that's less time than hard hit rates and you know, barrels. Mm-hmm. Barrel the contact quality stats in particular are sort of notoriously long to stabilize because it takes a lot of balls in play to be able right. to know that. And so it takes a lot more games. Um and so those ones Those ones, they're they're very helpful and descriptive, but they also it's harder to trust them uh, until much later in the season or multiple Mm -hmm. seasons, those kind of things.
2: Right. Right. And speaking of players specifically, you've also spent some time putting together leaderboards. Who's been excelling in IPA or ideal plate appearance? And what are some interesting names that you're finding at the top and bottom of these leaderboards?
3: That's a good question. So it's actually, so this is one of the things that made me feel good about the metric is it's the top of the list is kind of the guys that you would expect, right? So uh, Juan Soto's up there, Ronald Acuna Jr. This year, you know, those are the guys especially that, you know, aren't surprising. And I went back a few years. So, so in the first article, there's several years worth of data that's back there and you can kind of go and you see the guys who had the best seasons, right? So Aaron judge was the top last year because he had that crazy season but at the top of the leaderboard too, is you get some of these guys that, um, you maybe wouldn't think of so much, but they have sort of these unique skill sets that tend to be undervalued. So when I did the the first article, that was sort of at the end of June, Yandy Diaz was third behind Acuna and Juan Soto. Right. And that's because he draws walks and he hits, he hits the ball super hard. Um, and so that makes sense. And he's actually had a really breakout season this year, um, the, the power's diminished a little bit. He hasn't hit the home runs like he did in the first six weeks or so, but he's had a tremendous season. And so he's a name. You know, Maybe you wouldn't think about him up there. Um, so that's one. On the bottom side of the list, and I'm going to scroll here to the bottom really quick just to see. So, you know, some of the guys that um, haven't had the best seasons this year or even – so there's outliers too a bit. So actually Luis Rice is actually towards the bottom of the list, even though he's hitting, you know, 380 or whatever it is and trying to chase 400. Um, and that's partly because you know he doesn't hit the ball hard that often, but he hits a ton of flares and burners and those kind of things and um, that that type of stuff. But Andres Jimenez, Stephen Kwan are kind of down at the bottom of the list. And you know Cleveland's had a tough season this year. That's maybe part of that. Um, Andrew Benintendi's down there. Uh, Jeremy Pena, shortstop rookie, you know, breakout last year. He's not very high on the list either. So it is an interesting one to kind of look at um, on the leaderboards and, and get a feel for. And some of it's skill set, right? I think Arise is probably uh, an outlier in terms of this kind of metric. And you get that when you're kind of doing group statistics. But um, so that was a, that's a quick rundown of what what we found there.
2: That's really interesting and cool because like you said, Araya seems to be an outlier at the bottom because there clearly seems to be like an archetype of players that don't do well for IPA, like Steven Kwan and Andrew Benintendi and Andres Jimenez, like these players they're pretty similar. Yeah. yeah, all have similar traits and characteristics. So it's pretty interesting to see how that pans out. And then obviously towards the top, it's good and validate your research when you realize that hey, all the good guys are up here and this makes sense.
3: Yeah. And that, maybe to break the mold a little bit, I agree with you there. The, those guys all do share similar characteristics. And so they're maybe somehow outliers with their contact skills and things like that. But then at the same time, Luis Robert jr is down there in wow. about, um, may, maybe 15 or so uh, when I, when I pulled this data. Um, and so, you know, but then again, it kind of makes sense. He does hit the ball hard a lot, but he strikes out a ton and he right. doesn't really walk. Right. And so he's one of those you know, more free swinging kind of guys. And so he's down there a bit. Um, so yeah, it's Eddie Rosario kind of similar, right? So he's down there, not too far from that. Trey Turner, maybe a little surprising there, but he's, he's, he's had a really tough season. Um, so anyways, like any metric, uh, you know, there's going to be, you know, they're built towards kind of the middles of the distribution and those kind of things. There's always going to be people that, that defeat the metric and that kind of stuff. But, um, by and large, these are the types of things that we know over time tend to lead to offensive production.
0: Yeah, I think it's um, interesting here because I think this metric really works well if you're looking for kind of like an all-around player, right? Like yeah. a guy who can help you in, you know, average in runs and RBIs because, you know, they're hitting the ball hard. You know, that's yeah. going to lead some more RBI opportunities. They're going to get on base because of the walks. Uh, but then, yeah, you think of a guy like Luis Arias who, um, I don't know if it's still true, but I think he still has less runs than Byron Buxton or something ridiculous like that, despite oh, the fact that they're, completely different players but what Luis rise is only producing in in average and well buxton isn't really producing this year but <laughs> even his even his like you know like below average production it is, is about the same in terms of counting stats yeah to lose rise yeah
3: i think that's fair i mean i think and that's one of the reasons like so i like shorthand kinds of stuff in the quick one like when i'm playing fantasy i use total bases a
0: lot right mm-hmm. in
3: total bases and walks which is kind of similar to this as well um you know it just because it's a it's a shorter way but it, it does that more well-rounded kind of thing um as opposed to like trying to target specific categories so that that's my approach but Um, But I like those quick and easy kinds of ones like that as opposed to trying to make sense of a bunch of different variables sometimes.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's such a cool statistic. And for anyone who, once again, isn't familiar with IPA, make sure you go and check it out on Pitcher List and read both of John's articles because they're very interesting. And clearly they lead to correct results because we've seen the leaderboards take place and people are falling in the right place. So maybe you use it in part of your research and on how to become a better fantasy player and incorporate that into helping you move forward with fantasy but john we appreciate your time before you go is there anything you'd like to plug any articles you're working on your twitter anything of that sort
3: Yeah, you know, thanks guys i really appreciate the conversation uh hopefully the the metric we put together is useful and uh, always looking always good to talk with you guys i'm happy to do it when we get the chance
0: thanks guys back from break we're going to talk about pitcher streamers I'm not really sure if you need any more recommendations after player performance recaps, as we did talk about a bunch of guys that were pretty low rostered, Uh, but here we go. Matthew Liebertor. That's the first guy I'm going to talk about. He's 3% rostered on Yahoo, 1% on ESPN. And the big thing here is that he's going against Oakland and he just had a really good start. And recency bias is usually a good thing. When you're looking at streamers, the questions here are, will the curve be curveball be as dominant as it was in this previous start? Who knows, but again, it's Oakland, so it's worth the risk. Cole Reagans, uh, is twenty six percent rostered on Yahoo, six percent on ESPN, and like I said, that bandwagon is filling up fast. If you're kind of, you know, a person who drinks a petrolis Kool-Aid, it almost feels like he's a must add, but I realize that we probably need to tone down the helium just a little bit. That being said, though, he does have a few nice matchups coming up. And then Reese Olson, who I didn't talk about earlier, but he's been having well, let's just say not a great season, but he has destroyed the twins the last time, last few times he's faced them, and he gets the twins again this coming week. If they couldn't figure out him in figure him out in the second matchup, I don't know if they're going to figure him out in the third one as well. If that feels a little too risky for your blood, Tarek Skubel is um, also available in nearly half of the leagues on Yahoo. And I think he's actually a pretty good play against the Twins as the Twins are pretty terrible against lefties. So Terry Scouble might also be an option, but he doesn't really qualify as a streamer because he is too high rostered. Looking at the hitter recommendation of the week, Nolan Jones, who's 29% rostering at Yahoo, is our pick. He's first base outfield eligible, and he's had a pretty good rookie campaign so far this season. He's had some hot stretches like when he got initially called up, and he's had some cold stretches as well, of course. Well, he did hit two homers on Tuesday, and it looks like he's starting to heat up again, which is perfect timing because the Rockies are back in Coors Field for six games next week. If you need a hot bat that could provide some counting stats for you, especially with him being in Coors, I'd grab Nolan Jones immediately before someone else in your league scoops him up. And those are your streamers of the week. Uh, Thanks for listening to episode 49 and a half. Uh, Hopefully, Lee will be back next week and we can uh, actually get to a half century here. Um, but if you're interested in finding us on social media, uh, you can find us at this week, PL, um, you can also send us your comments and questions at this week, PL pod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter or X, I guess now that it's called at the John Kuh, and you can find Lee at Regicidal. You haven't done so already. Please subscribe to the Pitchless podcast feed on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcast and leave us a five-star review. If you enjoy the show. Lastly, sign up for Pitchless Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the PL Discord and get advice from all the fantasy experts and writers over there. That's all for this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For Lee, I'm John, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone.